Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast in the class. I've realized something over the last few days because I got messages from different people who listen to the class online. People think that the class is called breakfast in the class. It's not breakfast in the class. It's breakfast, yani, breakfast and the class. <laughs> okay? So, zakhinu, uh, that we have uh, breakfast here every morning and we have words of Torah to start the day and as well, um, that we put up with this uh, apparatus here in front of us, smack in the middle of the, of the room, in order that the people should be able to hear uh, from all around the world, listen and connect to the words of Torah that we are saying here, which should be also Le'ilui Nishmato of Edmond Ezra Raphael Ben Esther. My papers here are telling me as well that we have two more dedications. Number one, breakfast in the class dedicated loving memory of Rose Kada. For the first year, Askara sponsored by the Kada family. And as well, breakfast in the class are dedicated in loving memory, loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Eliyahu Moshe Weiss, Alava Shalom, on his Askara, who passed away actually a year ago today um, uh, uh, in, in our, from our synagogue. Okay. Rochal Noit Nichenu, Began Eden. As well, one more breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory of Mayor's brother David Cohen, Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Davida Cohen, Ben Rivka, and Amram, sponsored by Glory and Mayor Cohen. Thank you so much. You know, Rabotai, the Torah goes to great lengths to tell us about the obligation and the chiyuv of keeping Shabbat. But keeping Shabbat is not just about not doing. Uh, the things that you're not supposed to do, as we've discussed many times, but it also carries within it this concept of shmirah. Shmirah means to be careful. I don't know if you've ever been to a matzah bakery, but in the matzah bakery, you have people whose only job is to create a sense of urgency and anxiety in the matzah factory. All they do is say the whole time, no, 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 no. Chometz, chometz, chometz. It's very interesting to see. That speed, that excitement, that urgency, reminding people all the time, careful, if you, don't, if you wait any longer, it's going to become chometz. That rushes the process and makes them um, able to go from the mixing, from the time that they mix the flour and the water, until it's kneaded into dough, until it's rolled out into the, into the matzot, until they roll those things on it that make the, the, the dots and the holes in it, okay? From the beginning of the process until the end of the process is less than 18 minutes. And it operates in the good matzot bakeries. It's like a, a model of efficiency. It's amazing to see. They're, as soon as they're finished, the guy says, done. They pick up their hands. As if it's an exam, they don't touch the matzot, they go straight into the oven, they take the poles, they shove the poles out. Someone's job is to scrub the poles. I remember when I was a young man, I went to the matzah factory, not just to watch, but to pay it, to, you know, to get involved. And I sat and I scrubbed everything after the whole process was over, so there would be nothing on it. You're using, you can't use warm water, because anything warm aids the process of something becoming chametz. So we used to use freezing cold water. And it was my job to wash the bowls and the sticks that they would use in order to roll, in order to roll out the, the matzot. My hands, by the end of the two hours, were ro- so raw from the cold and scrubbing that they were cracked and bleeding. 
as a child. I didn't feel bad. It wasn't like child labor, Yanni. I was very happy to be excited. I was excited to be involved. You're helping, you know, cook the matzot that you're going to use, that you're going to use on, uh, on, on Pesach. It's very exciting. But Rabotai, I want to point out that that feeling of excitement and urgency, that need to push the envelope, to make sure that you get it done on time, that the water's freezing cold, that you don't bring the matzot anywhere near the oven before you stick them in, because the warmth could speed up the process of chametz. All of those uh, elements of nerves, they come from one word in the Torah, a word that we just mentioned. The pasuk says, Ushmartem et matzot. And you will guard the matzot. What are you guarding against? You're guarding against them becoming chametz. Rabutai, if that process requires that urgency and anxiety, speeding things along, we also have to understand that that same word, Zachor v'shamor b'diburechad, Hishimi'anu elameyuchad. God told us to remember Shabbat, but also to protect it, to guard it. Keeping and shamor are not the same thing. Right? We say, are you shomer Shabbat? What do we mean? Do you not drive a car? Do you not turn on the lights? I am shomer Shabbat. But that's just not breaking Shabbat. That's not guarding it. Think of a guard that stands outside of a synagogue, of a diamond uh, district building. He wants to make sure that no one comes in. The presence has to be outside, right? Why do guards stand outside in the cold? Let them stand inside. Because just the visual deterrent of the guard, the shomer, standing outside, makes the baker, makes the building, makes the, 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 the store, makes it safer. Because a person doesn't want to come, they see there's a visual deterrent. Rabotai, our responsibility when we keep Shabbat is not only to keep it, but to guard it. What do we learn from this idea? We learn from this idea that a person has an obligation to add on time to Shabbat, to take Shabbat in early. Like it says in the Zemirot of Shabbat, Hameacharim latzet mina Shabbat, umemaharim lavo. That they, they push Shabbat out, they take Shabbat out late. They're not sitting there in Arbit with their watches. He, he, start Havdalah when it's still Shabbat, so you're halfway through Havdalah before you're even allowed to light the candle. That's Mimaharin Latzet Mina Shabbat. We're supposed to rush to enter into Shabbat. But I want to share with you an amazing idea. There was a rabbi who had a Mishnah Berurah class with his Talmidim every Friday. They would study Mishnah Berurah. And they would go through Mishnah Berurah. Anyway, they're in the middle of Chelek Gimel, the third uh, uh, section of, uh, of, the, of the Mishnah Berurah. And they're learning the Halachot of Shabbat. They learn and learn and learn and learn and learn until finally comes a time when they're finished. So the boys say, okay, let's go, let's move on. The rabbi said, no, I'd rather start again and start Chelek Gimel again and learn again the Halachot of Shabbat. They said, why? And the rabbi said something very interesting. Now, this is very Kabbalistic, but bear with me, because I think you'll find that even if that's not your cup of tea, uh, that this is something which is very powerful. He said to them, we know our Chazal explained to us that on Shabbat, all of the Nishamot, all of the people who unfortunately didn't fulfill their mission here on earth, all the people that are spending some time in the other place, you know, with, uh, like they say, central heating but no central air, okay? Ya'ani, the guy is down under in the Gehinnam. What do they do on the day of Shabbat? 
Mitzaninim lo gehinam. It says that they cool down this place uh, in Shamaim that is designed to, to punish and to, uh, but for first and foremost, to cleanse and to prepare a person uh, to be able to enter in Olam Abba. During Shabbat, so to speak, Gehinam is also Shomer Shabbat. They shut off uh, the fuel, okay? Now that idea, he said, is something which is important so a person understands that if they're Makdim Shabbat, if they take Shabbat in early, then that process of punishment also gets brought earlier because you're already in the zone, in the mindset of Shabbat. So if you accept Shabbat 10 minutes, 20 minutes early, then that idea of mitzananim lo gehinam starts earlier, okay? He said, and if we study uh, the laws of Shabbat from the morning of Shabbat, then from the morning, Friday afternoon, then we're even going even further back to be able to extend this, uh, this blanket of Shabbat that cools off gehinam, we extend it even into, into the week, into Friday morning, and that is also something that will benefit him in the world to come. So I said, that's a very deep Kabbalistic idea. What these ideas mean, cooling off Gehinah, what is Gehinah in general, how do we understand it? What does it mean that the fires of Hashem can't uh, bring you spiritual cleansing without turning on a fire? Like, what does that even mean? Is there a spiritual fire on Shabbat? Like, is there a spir- an, is- an Isur? on spiritual fire on Shabbat. What these concepts mean is a very deep idea. But one thing I do say, and I, one thing I do see, and that is that by taking and drawing the blessing of Shabbat and bringing it in earlier in the day, you take something which is called in the tefillah, me'en abrachot, right? It is the source of all blessing, and you're stretching it a little bit earlier. So I want to give you an example. You know, if you want to play the lottery, you could go Powerball. If you want to do the lottery, you could go New York State Lotto. But there's other raffles as well, other lotteries as well, that give you money every single day of your life. They'll give you $1,000 every day for as long as you live, okay? You, get, you collect too much on it, I think they run you over with a car, saves them money, okay? But the point is, they give you money every day. Imagine a guy wins the lottery, and now they tell, they tell him, look, we're going to pay you the money every day. But you really, you only won from, uh, to, you won the, the, the thing wins today, we start paying you tomorrow. Imagine the guy had a way of being Magdim, of bringing in earlier the process of winning. Who wouldn't do that? You know, who wouldn't do that? Today as well, if you win the lottery, they give you a choice. Do you want to lump sum now, right? Or do you want to get paid out over time? Most people choose a lump sum now, even though it's less money. Why? You want to get paid now. Rabbi we have in front of us the Biracha of Shabbat. We've discussed a little bit about it on a deeper level yesterday in terms of the creation of Shabbat in a person's mind. Rabbi we have an opportunity through bringing Shabbat in early to stretch the Birachot into the week. So sometimes people ask me, they have an unfortunate incident, they have something going on at work, they have something that's going on in, in Rifuah and the family. One of the great tzaddikim, I read what he would advise people to do when they had a difficulty in their business or there was something that was going wrong that they needed extra beracha. He would tell them to accept on themselves to bring Shabbat in 30 minutes before this man, very early. In fact, if you go to Yerushalayim, the custom in Jerusalem is that they light candles when? 40 minutes before Shkiah. When do we light candles here? 18 minutes before. Some communities, 15 minutes before. In Yerushalayim, from 40 minutes before you hear, Woo! 
What are they doing? That's Shmirat Shabbat. When you accept Shabbat in that early, we always have, the, right before Shabbat, there's that last minute rush, right? Where all of a sudden you realize, oh, I need to do this. I forgot, I need to transfer. The whole day you didn't think about it. Now, it's time to bring in Shabbat. Now you're thinking about this thing. Shmirat Shabbat means our Chachamim tell us that from the time of Chatzot, from midday, a person's not really supposed to travel on Erev Shabbat because you don't know what's going to happen. So all of these things illustrate to us this concept of being protective over Shabbat, um, of lighting extra things. I still remember when we were in London, so we had to, a big room to be able to have all the guests. It was like a living room and a dining room. And in the middle of the living room and dining room was the switches. One switch for the right side, one switch for the left. A lot of times in our house, aside from the people we'd have for dinner, so we'd invite lots of people would come over, and we'd have a table that would stretch across both rooms, maybe 20 feet long. And then we would add extra tables if we'd need to. People would come. And after dinner was over, then we'd start getting knocks at the door. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. People were still coming. We would, it was a fairly common thing that we'd have 50, 60, 70 people sitting around the room at 1 o'clock in the morning singing Mizmorim, Kumzitz, words of Torah and Chizuk until all hours in the morning. Rabotai, I can promise you one thing. When I was up until 3 o'clock in the morning, Friday night, with 60 guests in my house, I was not going to First Minyan like I am now. <laughs> I was a frequent uh, uh, in, inhabitor of the Chabad Minyan, you know, that was a little bit later than 7.15, okay? Now, I still remember once we had a, uh, a family came over that they never, they never kept Shabbat. They never experienced it. They were so overwhelmed by what was going on in the house. They loved it. People are coming, joining, they start standing up. Everyone is kind of schmoozing back and forth. Lots of different things happening at the, at the table, okay? All of a sudden, while everyone is sitting there singing, right? This woman, the mother of the family, Hazita, she was sitting there talking to someone. She leaned back and she switched off the light. On Shabbat, 60 people were singing, we're in the zone. The light goes off, right? Everyone's like, hey, what happened? Like people are asking, I wanted to protect this woman from being embarrassed. So I, I just tried to like play it down. I was like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Meanwhile, the lady, she noticed that no one realized that she shut off the light. She figures, you know what? When nobody notices, everyone's busy singing. I'll turn the lights back on. Anyway, she went to the light switch and she, she flipped the switch. She didn't realize that the one that was up was the one on the other side that was still on. So I had that now, and first she shut the first one, she tried to kind of cover up her mistake, she turned off the second one. <laughs> so while she turned off the second one, then she had that moment of panic and flipped them both on. And I'm trying my best, I'm like, okay, trying to make sure that she's not humiliated on the first Shabbat that she ever tried to keep in her life, okay? Now for me, I think that there's something uh, um, I think there's something about this fear and anxiety that this should happen ever again. Something happens like that. You go out and you make sure. I bought myself this big silver plate that covers over the hole of the light switch so that even if someone pushed you and you fell on it, it wouldn't shut it off. That, what we might even call paranoia over Shabbat, if it comes from the right place, Rabotai, that's called Shmirat Shabbat. 
If you bring Shabbat early so that, God forbid, nothing happens, that by mistake someone will do something in the last minute, that's Shmirat Shabbat. And when God sees that you're putting in that effort and that anxiety, so to speak, and that paranoia and that worry to make sure that something doesn't go wrong, then, number one, it brings the Barakha, like we said, into the week. But it does something else as well. And I want to share this with you because I think this is a very important point. Our rabbis tell us, on the Pasuk says, Okay? Praiseworthy is he, that he, his work, his toil is in the Torah, and he makes, he makes a pleasant spirit, so to speak, for his God in heaven. I heard once from Ravi again, Shalom, he asked the question, he says, praiseworthy is one who works in Torah, I understand. Whose burden is in Torah, I understand. Why are you telling me that he, he makes his, his, his creator proud? Obviously, the, God told you to do the mitzvah. You do the mitzvah, he's going to be happy. Why does it say he does amal Torah, he toils in Torah, and also he makes his creator happy and, uh, and, and satisfied? And he said something unbelievable. He said, there's a fixed amount of amal of toil, of worry, of difficulty, every person is meant to feel in their lives. And that could happen from a business falling apart, that could happen from family drama and dynamics, that could happen a person's health, that could happen uh, when a person is humiliated or embarrassed in the synagogue because they made a mistake. It could happen from a lot of areas, their worry and their toil and their effort. You have a choice, Rabotai, to take that effort and pour it in any area of your life you want. So if a person is toiling, they're schwitzing in Torah, they're working really hard, it's hard for them to understand the sugya, they're staying up late at night. Those late sleepless nights that you could have spent worrying about one of your problems, you could also spend worrying about someone else's problems. By bringing in the mitzvot and tzedakah into your life, that worry is now displaced from your own tzarot. And where does it go to? It goes to the place that you chose. Because ultimately there's a fixed amount of worry, of toil, of difficulty. If you choose to put it in Torah and mitzvot, then it doesn't have to appear in other physical areas of your life. That's what it means. Ashrei misha amalo Torah It makes it so much easier for God that God doesn't need to send that amal in another place. And I think to myself that perhaps that is the concept of this Shmirat Shabbat, that when a person is doing all these things to ensure, and he's got the silver foil for his crockpot, and the, the knobs are wrapped, and then it's lifted up from the top, so it's not, according to any of the opinions, it's not Tomeh, Atmana. He's going crazy trying to do all these different things, trying to prepare everything right. Which way does he do the Matzot, Erev Pesach? He's preparing the amounts from before the, for the holiday, before Shabbat, because you can't weigh on Shabbat. You can't check it, you know, properly with the light box, the, the, the maror on Shabbat. He's doing all these things. All that effort that he's putting in actually winds up slowly but surely stealing away the tzarot that he has in his life and bringing it into a place of beracha, into a place where he actually gets rewarded. It reminds me of a story. We'll end with this. There was a rabbi whose name there's a Moshe Leib of Sasover. And he found out that there was an almana, a poor widow, a widowed woman. She lived in the forest and it was freezing cold in the Eastern European winters. And he knew that she would be very, very cold and she would be, it would be a pain for her and the children. 
The rabbi went out himself and he's chopping wood to be able to bring. He couldn't afford to buy it. So he's chopping wood in the forest to be able to bring. Anyway, they see the rabbi, you know, with a stack of wood on his shoulder and he's walking through the streets like, a, like as if he's a lumberjack. You know, and the people say, Rabbi, Mabisir, you're walking like this, it's not right, it's not right. You know, it's beneath your kavod. They, why don't we have, we have this guy, uh, Ivan the Porter, okay? He, a big, strong, burly, non-Jewish guy could lift up you and 16 piles of wood like this in one shot, no problem, okay? If you open them up, you cut them open, through his veins would be flowing gravy, okay? This guy's a bal basar, strong man. Why don't we get him? We'll pay him a few dollars. He'll take the wood wherever you're taking it. The rabbi says, I don't understand. You want me to give up the mitzvah to Ivan, and then you want me to pay him for it? What a way of looking at the, at the hustle, at the schwitz, at the difficulty of doing a mitzvah. Most of us today, we try to fulfill a mitzvah in the easiest way possible. But actually, taking on board a little bit of the, the difficulties, of the annoyance, you know, you could, you could call your rabbi and tell him, Rabbi, I need three perfect etrogim, you know, deliver them to my house. Uh, I'll make a donation to the shul. You could do it like that. But you could also get in your car and go down and look through 50 etrogim yourself. The reward for the mitzvah where you toiled over it, you struggled. Every guy knows a guy. You know, I think in today's day and age, in our community, right? So you need, a, you need a mechanic, I know a guy. You know, you need a contractor, I know a guy. And if you don't know the guy, you know a guy who knows a guy. So it used to be you had a mechanic on, on tap. You know, you had a lawyer, an accountant on tap. Now today in our community, every guy has 74 rabbis on tap. He has a rabbi that gets in the mezuzot. He has a Chabad rabbi that, you know, delivers his matzot. He has another, it's like uber rabbi. You know, whatever you need for all your mitzvah needs, you know, and the app prefers, it sorts out which rabbi is nearest you at this moment. Sure, no problem. Rabbi will be with you in two minutes, you know. I remember guys calling me, someone says, Rabbi, I need this problem, I need it sorted. I see the guys stressing about it. I do all the work that, anyway, after it's done, I call him up, I was like, it's done. He goes, oh, don't worry. He goes, it's fine. My other rabbi took care of it. <laughs> I told him you're cheating on me with another rabbi. <laughs> right? People, it's, it's good. It's good to have those connections. Fantastic. But sometimes it's, you have to realize what you're doing. You're outsourcing the biggest beracha. Could you imagine? You, you got your kids came home from Israel. You have an opportunity to spend time with them. Brilliant. Could you imagine hiring someone to spend time with your kids? Could you imagine you book a five-star vacation? You know, beautiful, best hotels, spa, amazing sight on the ocean. This is going to rejuvenate. It's going to be brilliant. You're going to, you're going to recover. You're going to be, you know, get, you know, bring back all your energy. And then right before you go, you know, you book a guy on TaskRabbit. And you tell the guy, listen, I need you to come over. Really? What do you need me to do? Nothing major. Just get in a cab, go to the airport. Here's the tickets. Here's the hotel. I need you to go stay there for me. Why would you? This is for you. This rejuvenates you. You don't want to give it to someone else. It's not so that it can get done. The point there is not to get it done. The point is for you to do it yourself. Rabotai, the greatest rabbis in the world, okay, that ever lived, the Gemara brings down how each one of them would help their wives prepare for Shabbat. They would sweep the floors. 
The other rabbi would leave the Bet Midrash, leave all the important projects he was doing, running the whole community. Three o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, put on an apron, he starts gutting the fish. What are you doing to prepare for Shabbat, to guard the Shabbat? What are you investing? This is an unbelievable sign of biracha. And the people who engage in it, the ones who hold the pipes, those are the ones who get the most wet. Those pipes of biracha coming into our life, we cannot outsource everything. You buy the chalas from kosher valet, the mazeh from somewhere else, the wine from a third person, everything is you know, automated, but you, you cut yourself out of the biracha. I think that's part of the lesson that we learn of this concept of stretching Shabbat to cool down Gehinnam. Never mind the metaphysical aspects of this Kabbalistic concept. Even in our physical world, when we're suffering with something, when something feels a little bit like we're going through Gehinnam, we know the answer to that. Ufros alenu sukat shelomecha. You pull the blanket of Shabbat over the problem, and chalas, it mitigates it and it cools down. May Hashem bless us always to be the recipients of the honor of Shabbat and through the honor of Shabbat, the Berachah of Shabbat. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.